All right. Well, I've got good news. God is on the throne and he's in control. We've got bad news. When you think about what's going on in Maui, when you think about what's going on in Palestine and Afghanistan and around the world, you'll see a lot of conflict because the world, as, uh, as Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But in Chronicles, there were people who were spiritually minded. There were wise men who had a sensitivity about the spirit. And they, they, it's written of these men that they understood the signs of the times. I just wanted you to know that there are things that are happening in the world just like they were happening in the New Testament. They've happened all since we've left Eden. There were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Some people think the suffering, the pain that's happening is because God is punishing that's not the Lord. He's, he's sending a warning so that we would repent. I'm telling you, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. But that idea that we are, we are in a world that's quickly um, getting prepared for the second coming of Christ. And be attentive to what's going on in the world. And so when I bring this down to the question of of movements, of, of, of people, groups, and trends in our culture, that question comes back to the title that you've got today. It's Conversion and Change. Now, there's an interesting story about the leopard. I, I would refer you to Rudyard Kipling's work. If you haven't heard this story, it's a great little story from Africa, how the leopard got his spots. I won't tell you that story, but it's a great story. But uh, Job, or, uh, Jeremiah says, it brings out this, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And the idea is, is change really possible? Well, if that leopard were to go out into the rain, there's an African proverb that follows it. Rain wets the leopard's skin, but it does not wash away <laughs> his spots. So the question, again, is... Is change really possible? And if you, your question, your answer to that question is very significant <clears throat> because it says a whole lot about your notions about who God is and who you are and the world that you live in. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he will not be able to enter into, he won't be able to see how to enter into the kingdom of God. And therefore, when Jesus, as we talked last week, when he met with Nicodemus, <clears throat> The teacher of Israel is going to be teaching change. The teacher didn't know about change. He said, how does that happen? It's not going to be physical. But Jesus would say, truly, truly, this has to be done. Now, that's not a personal command to Nicodemus. It was an instruction, as I mentioned. It was an indicator. Because Nicodemus didn't say, i got to go be born again. goes out to outside. I, I can't. I can't change myself. <laughs> because what we said last week, change doesn't take place because of our works. And that's what I said 
when you read the New Testament Gospels, you've got 51 accounts of people who have been touched by God who were transformed. The disciples, the women, the woman at the well, the leper who returned to Jesus, the man at the pool of Siloam, the garrison demoniac, the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross. Lots of stories that would answer that question, yes. Yes, you can change. And yet the real battle for us is it's work. It's complex. It's midwifing. And yet Paul would say, if anyone is in Christ, to go through that process of being born again, to be midwifed by the Holy Spirit, you come out with something brand new, a new creation. And what that new creation looks like, to understand that it is not just something in agreement to a doctrine or participation in a church. Or, it's a definite change of, of your soul's orientation and it's not just a cultural thing or self-improvement. So we are born again in order to repent. We are born again, and that causes more belief to grow. In our, in our transformation, in our growth, in our being born again, we are introduced into the grace of God in such a way that it radically changes our perception of everything. It radically changes our priorities. It radically, radically changes our values. We begin to see as God sees and respond as God responds. And that's what's amazing because what is true of Jesus can be true of us. And how Christ lived his life, as Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore, you are a woman of two spirits. You're a man of two spirits. Yours, your spirit and the spirit of Christ. Or just, for some people, it's just themselves. But if you are a new creation, you've been touched by the Holy Spirit. You've been drawn and you've been called into fellowship, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1.9. But but God has called us into fellowship, and this fellowship is with his son, Jesus. It's not about Christianity. It's not about issues. It's about Jesus Christ being the focal point of everything that we do. And that he is living through us, ministering, touching people through us. Being born again enables us not only to see the kingdom, but to be able to communicate the kingdom to those who can't see. So we have our own Nicodemuses that we meet with. And once you realize this calling, that you have a relationship, you have a place, and you have a, 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 a contribution to make in the kingdom, therefore, you begin to, as a new creation, you begin to realize, whoa, this is a mess. This is not the way God wanted it. And you become aware of the fact that there's a sinfulness that's really taking place that's very destructive. And you're aware of the fact that there's a judgment coming upon this world. And the time comes when people pass on and they don't have Christ, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The wrath of God is resting on them. And therefore, there's a warning, a call to repentance, a call to wake up and say, this world isn't just going to be you know, just let the tape rewind and, or play out and it's going to fall apart. There's something afterwards, death. 
and as it is appointed for men to die once, then comes a judgment. So the fear of judgment, you begin to realize, oh, it, it does make a difference what I do in this life. It does make a difference because God who made me is watching me. But once you understand that, then the glory of this is you begin to understand how, how deep forgiveness goes. And the, and the idea of forgiveness marking your ability to let the debts go, to, fa- to say, I am no longer going to use the sin and the damage that you have done to me, define our relationship. That's radical. That is not natural. That is supernatural. Because forgiveness, forgiveness you can't do without the Holy Spirit. Not true forgiveness. Because true forgiveness means three things. One, you're very much aware of the damage. But two, it means you're releasing people, releasing people from the damage. And you're three, you're no longer going to let that damage define the relationship, but that you're able to move back into that relationship that's been wounded and hurt and destroyed. But you move towards grace and you move in mercy and you move with real compassion because you realize sin has destroyed the relationship. That's a Christ-like attitude that doesn't come naturally. Therefore, when you think about what God is doing, the man without the Spirit just can't understand these things. And the man without the Spirit is going to further reproduce evil and make things worse because by my stupidity I got myself into this mess and by my stupidity I'll, my stupidity, I'll get myself out. Well, we're talking about conversion. Conversion and change. And the idea that... that when God gives divine assistance, there are those who don't want the resist- assistance. They will have resistance. But for those who go through a conversion, this is what the word means. If you look this up in, online, it, <clears throat> it's a radical and complete change in spirit, purpose, and direction away from sin and towards the love of God. It's the French word meaning change, transformation, entry into religious life, a way of life, behavior, dwelling, re- residence, But here's the crux. It's a turning around. Or if you go on the highway and you miss your exit, you got to go repent. (laughs) You go to the next exit, go off and come back around. It's just a turning. But keep in mind that there there are a number of conversions. One guy was Brad Pitt. Brad, Brad Pitt grew up in a Southern Baptist home, and he turned the wrong way. Brad Pitt said, when I got untethered from the comfort of religion, it wasn't a loss of faith for me. Because I had faith that I'm capable enough to handle any situation. There's peace and understanding that I have only one life here and now, and I am responsible. Did you notice that? There's only one life, and it's the here and now. He just cut off eternity. He just lost entire perspective, became secularized, which is like American culture, which has become without God in the world, without hope in the world, and we become living for the moment. That's all it is. And so when you have this turning away, it is so radically different than how the church started. And the church, you remember, from Pentecost on was a movement because Jesus invested in 12 men 
And those men knew about the love of God, and they knew about the gospel, and they saw Christ die, and they saw that he died for them because he loved them. And they understood that Jesus was so committed that the resurrection and the baptism would be for their eternal hope. These men were touched. These were ordinary men. They weren't rabbinical graduates. They're just like you and me. Eusebius, writing about this Christian movement, said that the Christian missionaries were so empowered by a divine spirit that at the first hearing, whole multitudes, not just here and there, multitudes in a body embraced in their souls a devotion to the creator of the universe. Now this is an historian, an outsider watching. And how does God do that? The means that God does create this movement within not just an individual, but a whole multitude is with a message. And the message is in your mouth and mine. And if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe him in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is it, it's, it's the promise that your faith in Christ will cover all the things we've done. But not only just the forgiveness, it's going to introduce us into a whole new kingdom lifestyle. For it is with your heart, and there's that spirit turning, that you believe and you are justified, and with your mouth you profess your faith. You do profess your faith and are saved. Romans said it this way, and there must have been a reason why Paul wrote this, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, but there are people today who are ashamed of the gospel. Not Paul. I hope not you. But the fear of being able to share something. Joe and I were talking yesterday, and Joe's friend, and, and he said, I don't know what it was. I, I was just afraid of speaking out, but God released him from that spirit. And he was able, and he was a bold, he's a bold man now. He's talking to the people coming into his room. But there's a fear of sharing with people, right? Because it's a part of growing to the point of saying, I'm more focused on Christ than I'm caring about what you think. So it's not being a people pleaser. But I'm not ashamed because the gospel, Paul's conviction, it, it is the power. It is the power. And if people don't know that power, they will never be changed. He chose us, James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of the truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's the word of truth. So last week I talked about this idea that, that when you're with people, you are with people on, on, a, on a continuum, that there are people who don't know the truth, don't know the power, don't know God of the universe, and don't have a devotion because they're in the flesh. But to help somebody move from this position to one who worships God with all their heart, that's a process that God's Spirit is in charge of. We simply come alongside and participate as midwives. So as there's a physical birth, there's life begins when the conception, when the Spirit of God starts, and that may start, God's Spirit may be at work already, and people you don't know, they may not know, but God does know. But he's using all kinds of circumstances to get people's attention. But when it comes to the point of conversion, when there's a turning to Christ, there's almost an awakening coming out of the womb, being born again so that you see the kingdom and you understand the Spirit of God has moved you. And therefore, it's by His work that you are prompted 
and you respond. It's a spiritual birth. Being a born again leads to conversion. Conversion does not lead to being born again. And so the stages are baptism is a reflection of that which has already happened on the inside. It's an outward sign that something has been touched on the inside. Therefore, change is possible. And as Paul would say, it's not only beginning with the birth, it starts with the growth. And in 2 Timothy 2, or 3, Paul says, you've heard these things from youth. Now, I want you've, heard, you've heard them, but I want you to learn them, and I want you to become convinced of them. Now, there's two different stages of discipleship there. You may be educated, but you're not convinced. And as we go into thinking about how God works, he's going to work in several ways. But what he does, these are the four works of the Holy Spirit. Notice them, that the teaching of God which is inspired by the Spirit, the teaching is going to tell you who He is. And your understanding, your notion of God, that He is a, he is a God of peace, and He wants you to walk in peace because He made you to walk with Him in peace. He doesn't want to fight you. And really, we don't want to fight Him. But the Spirit of God helps that war to end. But you learn, and then sometimes when you go off, you need to be reproved, changed, rebuked, to say, this is what's wrong. And then the Spirit of God leads you to, this is what's right. And here's the training so that you can get back on the path. So you see in scriptures, fully, fully aware of that change is possible. And Paul would say, I'm, I'm in labor. I'm working with you until faith is formed in you. I'm in midwife school. And I'm birthing believers. And so, let me scoot in. Now, let me, let me share one more thing that's really interesting this week. There was a woman from Korea. Her name was Miss Kim. And she came from uh, Korea, Seoul, to Oregon, and then from Oregon down to San Francisco. And she was part of the Moonies. When she went to San Francisco, she thought, I'm going to promote this thing. And so what she did is she rented a hall, made some brochures, passed out the pamphlets, and and nothing ever came about. It was a failure. So there are some researchers who are interested in her story, and so they said, let's go find out how they grow. So the researchers went in and, and took personal testimonies, listened to these guys who came to the Moonies. And what happened was Mrs. Kim lived in an apartment, and with the three women who were in the same apartment building, she began to share because she had connections with these women. And guess who became the first converts to Moonies? It was the people that she lived with. And they went out and shared with people in the work. And so what they've, what they've concluded is that, that when you have these relationships, it's the relationships that are attracting people because Miss Kim saw that these people were lonely, they were distressed, and they were downcast, and that the moon doctrine was able to bring them into a group, and they did. I want you to know that that turning to Muni religion, as turning to any religion, is going to be done basically through a relationship. So when you think about how people get radicalized into Muslim causes, it's not going to be basic to their ideologies. There is a group mindset that's going to be attractive. 
you'll find the same principle that what's being used to draw people in is not just the thinking, it's the relationship. And so if you are in a gang in prison, there was a guy that was the head of the, the Latin kings in Chicago. And, and on his chest, he had this crown because he was the leader of the Latin kings. When we, when we shared Christ with him and he became a Christian, he drew a circle around that crown and a line through it to nullify that. And then on this chest, he put a big cross. Jesus is my king. And so when you play basketball, you see these two messages. <laughs> it was funny. But people join gangs because they want to belong. They want the relationships, and that's the human desire that God built. It's the same thing for politics. It's the same thing when you get into news networks, which you pay attention to. So you realize you're in a group setting, and when you are Christians, you are surrounded by Christians who believe the same. But when you go to college, all of a sudden you're surrounded by a different group. Now, this is what I want you to hear. It's this ratio that the researchers found out, that if there are more people who are influencing you inside your group, if there are many people that really endorse and affirm, you will stay with that group. But if there are more people outside who have an influence on you, you will leave this group Enter the internet. Enter the fact that churches are now losing people right and left. They're turning away because the relationships are not there. Therefore, the reason why, one of the reasons why I think Kairos is so effective is we have 40 men who are going in as a group. And yet, as an individual, as an American, you may privatize and think, God wants to use me. I'm saying to you, open your eyes. God wants to use the church as a whole. You are part of that. The church is part of that. So when people come to see us, they can turn. Now, there is a movement, just to move towards the end. There's a movement that, that was taking place in the church that you can come out of the LBGTQ movement and you can come into church, you can lead that lifestyle, which we do believe that Jesus rescues us, transfers us from the domain of darkness, like we sang earlier, and he transfers us into the kingdom of light. But these two groups, the strength of these two groups is important. If I were in Michigan today, I would be in jail because I cannot counsel someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction. I can't do it. It's against the law. I would be arrested and given a felony. Not a misdemeanor, a felony, because the world is against what we are saying. Therefore, it is complex, and I will go to jail for that, because we must obey God rather than men. But the idea that if you continue to do your evil, you won't change because the group that you're running with is going to make sure you never get out of that group. But for us as Christians, we have the chance to introduce the Spirit of God who wants to call and restore everyone. And how he's going to do that is by looking at Jesus. And with we, with an unveiled face, beholding Jesus, 
the kind of man he was, the, the gentle man that he was, the radical man, that, just seeing Christ will call something in my spirit, I want to be like him. He has what I want. He is what I need. And therefore, no man, no woman will su- su- uh, suffice because they're not God. So why turn to a human when you can turn to the Savior? So we turn. We turn our eyes. We turn our lives over to Christ. And for that reason, I'm calling you, church, to think. You are called to be a midwife. You're called to be a testimony to those who have no story to give at all. But you have good news. And therefore, can a leopard change his spots? Not if he's running with that group, but if he's running with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, he can change. So I want to encourage you be bold, speak out. But that change is not easy. There's lots of things, and we'll talk about that later on. But just for now, to know that there is another group that the Christian gays who have left the church, or who've come, the Christian people who struggle with same sex attraction, who've left the church and have gone into this conversion therapy, there's a group of people saying, and I'm out of there too. And now there's an XX movement, and people are going back into the very movement that trapped them in the first place. Last thing. I was reading some, re- some research about the professional organizations, the American Psychiatric Association, the, the, one, the pediatric association, a number of groups have said a, a mission statement that we believe and they go on to describe it. And as I read that, I listened, listened, I learned, and I loved. I thought, I want to hear this group very well. And, and what they said was this. We don't want any, any group, we as professional counselors, educators, legislators, we don't want to harm anybody. And we believe that, one, that this conversion therapy to turn away is, one, imp- the impropriety, improper, um, ineffective and damaging. That these people need to be protected. And I said to myself, self, <laughs> if I were talking to somebody like that, and I would say in my response, well, if you were to have a proper, effective, and healing method to help people grow, would you be opposed to that? Because your argument is, we don't want people to be hurt. Me too. We don't want to have improper methods. Me too. We don't want to be ineffective. Me too. And so I heard this story, and then I went online to say, okay, what is this? Let me tell you the story, and I'll conclude with this. One guy who was struggling with his sexuality went in to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, okay, I see that you're having trouble with the same-sex attractions and you want to change to be heterosexual. Well, let's dig in. So in the counseling, they found out that he was parented wrong. So he says, well, I will reparent you. So put your head in my lap, man to man. The psychiatrist will say, put your head and I will hold you as a son. And they brought in a woman I will mother you. She will mother you. So put your head on her lap. 
And then to make sure you understand the function of sexual, uh, of sexuality and, and the way God made it physically, and I couldn't believe this. Sorry for this, but I want you to take your poop and put it in a glass jar. And I want you to understand that's the function of those organs. And that's not where... And so they tried to introduce a thinking that's a version. I am against that. That does harm. I, what, what I've heard people go through in prison from the state pro- program to help rehabilitate sexual offenders, it's damaging. So I would say, I'm with that sentence that says, I don't want improper. I don't want things that are in effect. I don't want things to hurt people. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news because the gospel is proper. The gospel is effective. And the gospel is healing. Therefore, we can help people not just, we can help people be birthed into Christ, but we have to walk with them and develop them to understand. And that's a complex issue which we'll pick up as we go into next couple of months as we study this book. But again, I want you to be gracious people. Learn that God is powerful and he can change people. With that, I'm going to close because <laughs> we'll be here till midnight if I don't. But let's uh, just want to encourage you. Let the Spirit work in your life in such a way that you go deep, that you understand grace, and you know about change, and you can help other people come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are in a world that is going to attack us and persecute us because we are in your kingdom. And Lord, we understand that they cannot understand because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And as much as it's easy to make fun of religion and mock and, and criticize, Father, there's so many things that, that are just wrong that need to be made right. And we don't know how to do all those things. We don't have answers. We don't want to be argumentative, but we need to be bold to say we do have an answer. And the answer is not just expecting the spots to go away but the change is to see you. So Lord, would you help us? Would you give us the grace and the courage and the faith and the boldness to be transformed into your image? And from that, would people see the movement of Christ, even here in Chesterland, Father? So I don't know how you're going to do that, but I believe that you're going to do that. So use us. We are available in Jesus' name. Amen.